Ma. Oh, I woke up Christine. Come on back, people. Um, we're going to hear from the lower post team. I, I do believe there's a slew of, of folks that are going to be up at some point to speak, but um, for sure we're going to pass it off to our paterfamilias, Gordy. Just, yeah. <laughs> Why don't we pray? And I'll, I'll lay hands on you, but everybody's included. So, Lord, we thank you so much for um, your church, for being your body. And we ask that we would be your body as we hear from those members of us who have blessed those members up there. Lord, would you just let us um, reciprocate, receive, and add water and fruit to the um, the gift that's been shown forth in this relationship we have with Lower Post. So, Lord, right now, just rest on the speakers, those people who are going to be sharing. Rest on them. Give them clarity and discernment. And may we be good ears today to celebrate with them, to be celebratory, and to grow, to grow by what we've heard. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, bro. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome back. Oh, no, we're the ones that came back. That's right. Nice to see Lynn back, too, today, who's been gone for a month and a half in Ireland. And uh, Amy and Saoirse and Mark. Mark went for a little visit, too. Just want to start by saying a big thank you uh, to, to you, um, because uh, a mission trip is never just about the goers. It's never just about the people that go. It's also about the senders, and we're all one team. And we felt an incredible uh, prayer core lifting our hands when we didn't have the energy or the time to pray ourselves. We felt that there were many, many people. Uh, I was able to tell the people of Lower Post about Jin in Seoul, Korea, who fasted from 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. every day and praying for us during all the days that we not only ministered there but traveled and to you who were praying for us, even though the information was quite skimpy <laughs> as to what to pray for, because believe, believe me, it is, you just cut off communication-wise. No cell phone connection, no email connection in our phones. We, if we could get into somebody's place with a, an office or computer, then we were able to do it. But it was very difficult to communicate. Um, even people with uh, Talos and Bell connections couldn't, could connect in Watson Lake, but not in, in the reserve. So I hope you prayed a lot in tongues. Uh, that, that way it was accurate. <laughs> uh, and Christine, of course, was our, our commu- uh, chief correspondent, and she sent out a few things. Uh, but thank you who prayed anyway. And to those of you who gave financially, um, not only to help the ministry team expenses, but some of our team members actually needed help themselves, and some of you stepped up to to make sure that they got there. Also to you that loaned sleeping bags, tents, mattresses. Steve and Karen, you saved my butt, literally. Uh, that mattress they, they lent me. Oh, my goodness. Wonderful. And Matt, thank you guys. 
Thanks for just helping us get there. I thought it would be good to start uh, with a reading. And uh, this reading kind of defines our, our vision for Lower Post and, and kind of how, how it all began. I'll give you a little bit of the story. Uh, Isaiah the prophet uh, saw a lot of the people in exile being quite discouraged. They'd had this initial euphoria of return, but it didn't take long for the Jewish people in, 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 who had returned from exile to begin to feel like they were still in exile, even though they were in their homeland. In fact, uh, historians are beginning to realize that even the Jews in Jesus' day still believed they were in exile, even though they were living in the Holy Land just because the Romans were still dominating them. So there was this sense of hope deferred makes the heart sick, this sense of despair and hopelessness and brokenness and shatteredness. And it's into that despair and hopelessness that Isaiah the prophet steps up. Some scholars believe this was a second Isaiah to a first Isaiah of the first 39 chapters. But he steps up and he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. And, and of course, we recognize these words because they were quoted by Jesus uh, about, uh, what, 500 years, 400 years later as his Magna Carta, right? And in, in, in Luke chapter uh, 4, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, uh, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. This is the word of the Lord. So, the journey for us began especially for Kathleen and I, I would say in our growing up years where I would say 50% of my school into my high school, junior and high school days became Cree. I was, went to school with Cree First Nations in the north, played basketball a lot with these guys, became very aware very quickly of a, a severe brokenness in them that I couldn't define or describe. And when they would come to Christ, as many did, I would be shocked by their, their, the erratic nature of their discipleship. Uh, just on fire and, and then on off falling, falling off the wagon. And, but, but in spite of all that brokenness, discovering incredible friendships during that time that of, and loyalty that was uh, beyond anything I'd experienced in non-native culture, this sense of friendship and loyalty. And it really hit me hard when a few years later uh, we were on sabbatical in England and Dances with Wolves came through the theaters and at the end of the, sh the show, you remember the long-haired brave crying out in, in his Sioux language, dances with wolves, I am wind in his hair, I will always be your friend. And I, I remember in England being so hit with a sorrow that I wept for, 
for weeks and weeks and weeks. I just, just at any given moment, I just burst into this sobbing tears. And, and both Kathleen and I sensed that even though we had an invitation to stay and actually pastor in England, we felt something was not done in Canada, our homeland, and that we were to come back. And somehow it was connected to First Nations. So we came back, and my first job that I got here in Vancouver, I felt the Lord tell me not to pastor for the first few years, just to live in the city, get under its skin, and just love people, just live and love and live on the other side of the pulpit, as it were, for a while. And it was during that time working at UBC, I discovered this thing called residential schools, and it was an attempt. See, the colonial government never made attempt, uh, treaties with First Nations in good faith, and the one exception for that may have been Samuel Champlain when his vision to form New France, but every other treaty was simply a convenient way to, to deal with time, uh, to do time until the Indians died off. That was basically what was behind it. And when that didn't work, when they didn't die off as quickly as they thought, then the residential school was, was an attempt to assimilate. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. But they, they were not, would not be assimilated in spite of unbelievable pressure and pain, family breakdown and fragmentation. And it was during that time at the age of 35 years old, for the first time in my life, I discovered that there was a residential school within half an hour of where I lived all my growing up years and didn't know about it. And so that began us on a long journey. Kathleen made a friend at UBC whose mother, an elder, invited us to our first trip to Lower Post in 1995. When we joined Vancouver, which was at the time Vancouver Vineyard at the time, in 1991, they had already had a good relationship with the Squamish on the North Shore. Burrard, Salish peoples had built a playground on that. And some of the people that were involved with us came the first year. We brought a team of 25 the first year. Uh, and it was one of the most, most emotional weeks of my life. And we built a playground on, on the site of one of the most notorious residential schools in B.C.'s history, Lower Post, B.C., and that, the half that building is still there. They use it today for a band office. But we built the playground and presented it to the elders and repented on behalf of our culture and, and our church and the church for the church's involvement in the, first, in the residential school saga. At the end of that trip, uh, we were all praying about whether we should go next year. And I was on my face, and I, I, I detent, detected a lack of enthusiasm because it's, it's hard work. You go up there, and, and uh, I was on my face, and I heard the Lord say, one night stand. And it just broke me. I just wept before him as I realized that often our missionary activity is we get our jollies, and then we leave and forget the people that we've been involved with. And I felt like the Lord said, you are to enter into a covenant with lower post. And so for the last 18 years, we have decided through thick and thin, winter, summer, fall, to go, go back, to stay in touch. Many come down here, sometimes stay in our homes, um, as well as continuing to advocate and raise awareness of First Nations issues. I think what the Lord has shown me is that our nation cannot be healed until this partnership between uh, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal in Canada is healed. Um, and so... Uh, that is part of our mission and our journey. And, and, and their eyes will not be open to the gospel until there's justice. Because uh, if the white man came and broke all these promises and treaties, how can we trust their Bible? 
So there's a connection between justice and them having their eyes and ears open to the gospel. So um, uh, this year uh, was was the uh, was maybe the 20th or 21st visit. I can't remember because we've sometimes gone more than once a year. Although there was a year or two that we didn't go after Lorna's death, and Kathleen will explain a little bit about that. Um, as is often the case, a few weeks before we were to go, I got news that a whole bunch of people had planned to leave the community and go fruit picking in the Okanagan. A lot of core people, a lot of people with kids. And it happens like that every year. Every year we're about to go, some kind of adverse news comes that, oh, it's a bad time to go. And I just, when they told me that, they were really discouraged. Some of the people up there said, we're sorry, there was a communication breakdown. Some of the people were really upset about it because they love it when we come. And we're going to miss us. And they were angry at other people <laughs> who didn't let them know and all that stuff. I said, hey, settle down. I found there's never a good time to come. But it's always God's time. So we're going to come. And I believe that God was in that. I believe that God was in. It, it was smaller crowds. It wasn't as many of the people that we knew. But there was probably, uh, the, as far as seeing a church established there, the most significant trip we've ever taken. This trip. Uh, as far as mo- moving forward, wheels hitting the ground, things being established, it was probably the most significant trip. Uh, and the Lord said, don't despise the day of small things. The significant leaders that needed to be involved in this were there. Um, and there were some significant shifts um, that I'll share more at the end. Uh, Wade prayed for me, just a simple little prayer. And, and I know Wade, being Wade, doesn't really like that kind of ministry that much. But he felt like, this is my thing to do, so I'm going to do it before we left. And he gave me a word that was so profound, and it was based on Kirsten's scripture that he shared, she shared about Jesus stepping out of the boat on the water, and, or Peter stepping out of the boat, and, and the waves blocking his view of Jesus. And that was the, way, the word that Wade gave, is, is that when you lose sight of Jesus, keep walking. And uh, we literally went with probably very far short of our budget. I knew we were short, and everything was going on my Visa card. Uh, and so when, that, when, when we stepped out, I kept that word in mind. And when we got this word about the, uh, the families not being there, we, I just felt to keep walking. And, and it was as we kept on walking that we saw the waters part in significant ways. Uh, so just to show you what we do, just real quickly, um, Vancouver's right there, and I'm, I am really shaky today physically, so please bear with me. Um, there's Vancouver. Um, we, we go up through the Fraser Canyon, through the Caribou to Prince George. This is all on the first day we go to Burns Lake. It's about a 12-hour drive, about the same as driving to Redding, California. Um, and we're, we're not even halfway there yet. Uh, Burns Lake has a vineyard, so they let us sleep in the church. The next day, we drive about the same distance to Dees Lake and camp. And then it's about another three hours the next day to Lower Post. So when I said 36, that was a bit of an exaggeration. It's, it's probably about 24 hours plus another six, so 30 hours, uh, depending on potty breaks. But anyway, uh, 
So lower post is right here. So we just, the last day we drive in, in the evening. Uh, and then when we came back, there's a little uh, detour right around Meziadin. Where's Meziadin? Anybody see it? Yeah, kind of there. And then we just uh, took a little detour into Stewart, Alaska. Oh, yeah. So it's about a half-hour detour, one of the most spectacular little drives in the world, and the salmon were spawning. So we saw lots of bears. I don't know if we saw grizzlies, but we saw a lot of black and the salmon spawning, and then back, back down home again, arrived about 6 o'clock last night. So we are actually driving more time than we were there. Um, um, just a couple quick snapshots before I have some of the team share. Um, this is, once you get turned north of the Yellowhead, it's just constant this. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, pick, this is how we ate. We ate out probably once the whole trip. Most of it, thanks to Gloria's hard work and Monica's uh, support, uh, they made amazing picnics and suppers. Danny, he doesn't know how to cook, so we allowed him to croon the cooks. Actually, you're a good cook, Danny. I'm just kidding. And Kenny camped down on the water. And it, wasn't, it was a pretty good idea until a boat came by. Um, how many remember the fast ferry fiasco? Kind of the same kind of thing happened. Come on, you guys. When are you going to swim? Uh, Kenny went in for a swim, so we all went for a swim. This was our first night. Instead of having a service in the gym, they wanted to have a feast, so they invited us all just to sit around. And we sang. And while I was singing, this is uh, Monica and Christine with an elder named Freddie. They might talk about a little bit. Now, I may look a little funny as I'm leading in worship here, and it's because mosquitoes were landing all over me. And I had this moment as I was, mosquitoes were all over my legs. I said, you, I said, bring it on, suckers. I'm going to worship God. Because at first I was trying to slap, and, and I realized I was either going to do that or worship. And I had to make a decision. So I worshiped. And guess what? Not one bite. Not one bite. I got bites later in other places, which I will not describe. But... That night, I didn't have any bite marks where they were landing. So, Kathleen, come. Kids is always a key thing, and Kathleen had a, a really neat word, too. Uh, I'll stay here if that's okay. Why don't you yeah, stand? for sure. Okay. Well, it's so wonderful to be able to come back. We were so exhausted, and then as we arrived back, thinking, yay, we're home early. There was a traffic jam on Highway 1. Somebody outside of Alder Grove, they had a fender bender. So Kenny was really happy about that. (laughs) We just went into immediate praise, didn't we? Uh, Anyway, we are so happy to be able to share with you in our weakness. This, This picture shows us in the school, and you know, at my heart as a teacher, uh, I really love going to Lower Post. I really love this school. It's, uh, at one point in time, there's up to 50 kids in there. It's really on my heart to pray. They're down to only seven, and I don't know how it's standing, but it is an elementary school. They have a really amazing preschool with the Head Start program, and I went to visit it. It's completely renovated. 
Art and Dixie stayed there. It's like a beautiful apartment. It's gorgeous, and they are moving ahead. But this is an item of real prayer because they really need, uh, you know, teachers that really understand the First Nations culture. And I'm not saying they don't have it, but there just seems to be a problem in communication between the white principle that's there. And so it's, it's really a burden on my heart. So if I leave uh, in a month, you'll know where I'll, I'll be going. <laughs> anyway, here we are, and, and Monica and Christine. Doesn't Christine look happy? <laughs> yeah, she looks so happy there. Actually, there's some pictures of you in the worship part that you're a little bit, you know, nicer face on you. But, and we... So anyway, I really want to zero in on these two little boys uh, you see in the front. We had a few other kids too. We didn't have tons of kids. We had one exciting thing that happened was that we were able to actually bridge in a new community, Upper Liard. So Gordy will share a little later maybe uh, how we have received an invitation. I don't know if it will be the same kind of way, what we do. Uh, but an invitation uh, for a tour that will embrace a lot more of the communities surrounding Lower Post, Upper Liard, Good Hope Lake, uh, Telegraph Creek. There's all kinds of places there, very close, with Casca uh, people living, Telton people living. But here, the, these little boys aren't their brothers. And so we have Austin and Jacob. And, of course, Sadie, too, who's just gorgeous. She... she you know, she's there, and I just love her. She's four, five, and she was three when she first started. And Austin and Jacob, actually, this is the first time they came to Vacation Bible School. And then there is um, Kiera, who actually is Bernice's granddaughter, living with Bernice, and that's Frances Carlick's sister. And she is a very hardworking social worker, very key leader there as well. But I want to talk about these two boys because um, their mother, Valerie, was in my, I call it my, forgive me if I say my, it's really our, I, I guess it's because I prayed so hard for it, um, Vacation Bible School 18 years ago, her mother. So I've been nicknamed Crow Mother. I think they should nickname me Crow Grandmother by this point in time. But her the mother of these two boys came 18 years ago, and she came with her sister, Lisa, who is now working in the band office, and last year she was a preschool teacher. And, of course, Ashley was there. Forgive me if I start crying, but Ashley is not here anymore because she's not with us. And I think already mentioned that story about Ashley. So she, Ashley was the older sister of these three girls, Ashley, Valerie, and Lisa. Now, M Valerie is the mother of these two boys here. So Valerie came every day to bring the boys, and she drove in from Watson Lake, which is about a, what, 10-mile drive? 13 Ks. Thanks, Kenny. And she moved off the reserve because she just was so full of grief when her sister died, and she just couldn't stay. And she, but she, when she heard about us, she decided she wanted to bring her boys, and I was so thrilled about that. So it was thrilling for me. My highlight, of course, was being able to work with the children of the children that I had loved and served 18 years ago and to talk to these young mothers because they stayed, they kind of like stay, and I, was, I always had a table ready for them. They could always come, and we always had beads out, or they would just sit. 
and and you know and I would have a chance to greet them. We wouldn't be in a rush to start kids church. We would always, you know, have something for them to they there's always glory always had the most amazing fruit platters ready, beautiful watermelon, beautiful oranges and apples and pineapple. Of course, Christine wants me to mention she made homemade cookies. <laughs> So, yes, and, and it was so wonderful. The hospitality was incredible, and I, I want to thank publicly again Gloria, and Christine was in the kitchen a lot too, and Monica was doing a lot, and both Christine and Monica helped me. Gordy came in on the second day. I wanted the kids to believe that men get involved with kids, so Gordy came in and did worship with the kids too. Now, this story, oh, here we are, yeah, and at night we would always... These are during the meetings. So here we have uh, some of the other kids. These kids, some of them came. Okay, that's Dakota, yeah, with the headband on. She only came the one day. Uh, you know, oh, I could just go on and on about some of the stories these kids come from in terms of not with their mom and dad, sometimes with their dad, not with their mom. But anyway, the two boys, can I show the two boys again? Jacob and Austin, so you can just see their little faces. Yeah. So cute, aren't they? And they love each other so much. So when, the second day when Valerie kind of was sneaking out, as parents do, you know how that works, Joe? You kind of, the kids are taken care of, you want to sneak out and go visit somebody. You're, you're trusting. And I mean, that's amazing that they would trust me too. They, so she wanted to go and visit her sister Lisa and her mother, Betty. And uh, so Austin says, where's mom so Jacob looked at Austin and Jacob goes and so they're both crying (laughs) anyway Christine took them over and got a cookie now the story of um, I gotta hurry up I know so this highlight you understand the journey of Valerie coming back now when Gordy and I visited Ashley in the hospital when Ashley was finally detected with leukemia. Now, she had had pain in her legs for, I don't know, quite a few years, right, Gordy? And she went to the doctors, and they just didn't really detect it. And this is what happens with First Nations people over and over again. They just don't get really good medical care. She ended up at VGH. We went to visit her. She recognized us immediately. Remember, we had known her 18 years ago and had been up there. She, I mean, she'd We'd, we'd known her for a few years. Uh, she said to us, and Gordy reminded me exactly what she said, when she was in the hospital, we went to pray for her. Our community was filled with so much joy. Every time you came to visit us, I remember you. And we had not gone to Lower Post at that point for about two years because Lorna had passed away. So Lorna is our matriarch, spiritual elder and our host and we always stayed with her that's Francis's mother and you guys have met Francis many of you right and uh, so we just didn't know we we depend on invitation but after athletes passing and we met people a lot of people came down to lower post we started to have more conversation then we got an invitation from the hereditary chief George Miller and I think uh, you're going to share a little bit more about that aren't you um, but this me- meant that we now started to develop relationships with so many, almost all of the families in Lower Post, not just the Carlicks, 
I met Francis Carlick, then we knew the Carlicks. And at one point in time, her brother was the chief. So anyway, we started to have this very strong relationship with all the families, particularly the Millers, who we didn't really have much friendship with. And uh, that was a key for us. So in a way, what I think happened, as, as I was thinking about Renee, actually, Joe, because of Ashley's death, it was a, almost a resurrection for us again as a team to go back. She was the youth leader at that point in Laura Post. She was very outgoing, very athletic. The kids loved her. And it was just overwhelmingly devastating to see this young woman at the age of 22 die of leukemia. But when she died, it was a, a new resurrection. And for us, as, and maybe for more than us, but we, we then went back and we had a renewing. There's so much market share, uh, honestly. Uh, but that's, I just felt like the whole emphasis of faithfulness, keep on going, rebuilding, restoring, renewing, seeing the fruit, being able to work with children that grow up and become parents and working with their children. The impact of one individual's life is amazing. Yeah. One of the things we noticed is that a lot of the, a lot of the young people are very... Uh, a lot of the young guys were very much into drugs and, and alcohol and would come in inebriated last year. But what we noticed this year, some of the young guys were coming in and they were working. Yeah. They were uh, uh, very hungry, very soft. And, it, and we began to recognize that these were the young guys that had also been in the kids' clubs back in the 90s. So those seeds, you know, it's, you're cycle-breaking, but sometimes it takes time. So thank you, Kathleen. That's awesome. The children were, again, such a highlight read a, a, a scripture from Isaiah. Instead of shame, this is verse 7, you will receive a double portion. And I speak this to you, but I also speak this to lower post. Instead of disgrace, you will receive your inheritance. You will inherit a double portion in your land. Everlasting joy will be yours. Amen. Thanks, Kathleen. I don't think anybody prepared as much as Kathleen. Months ago, she was getting these activities ready, the crafts, the uh, she was by far the most passionate in the long-term preparation for this trip with prayer. Uh, I'm going to give each team member five minutes, and I forgot to set the alarm on Kathleen, so she got the grace today. Uh, at four minutes, the my old car horn is going to go off. So, Danny, come on up, buddy. This is Danny leading worship. Danny was such a blessing from the Nishka Nation. Why don't you take this one here, Danny? And... Uh, just want to say how in the timing of the Lord it was that you come. We just his gentle heart and spirit. And last night, uh, I dropped uh, stuff off at our place. And I said, it's about 8 o'clock. I said, what do you want to do now? And he said, I just want to go down to Grandview Park. And I want to talk to people. And uh, I just thought, that is the last thing in the world I want to do. <laughs> but Danny, Danny's just, just got such a heart for people, and it was just wonderful. He preached a wonderful message. He led worship one night. The roof blew off just with worship. Uh, they loved him. So thanks, Danny, for coming. I've got a picture of Robert, kind of, so I can show you. Check, check, check. Oh. That was actually one thing we really missed you, Mark, and then, or Dean, and Lower Post. Um, we definitely needed a better sound system anyway. 
Um, oh, man, I don't even know where to begin. Um, there, yeah, Robert, I'll start with Robert. Robert was a young man. Uh, is he up there? also in our clubs as a young boy. Yeah. Okay, I get half a minute for that. Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> White man always stealing things. Give and take away. <laughs> um, with Robert, um, well, you know that I, I love music and worship is my, is my thing. Well, I wanted to do music workshops and I was hoping to get in drumming and bass guitar, but that didn't happen. Just just guitar happened, and so we did that. I did that with Robert, and he had this glazed-over look. I believe he has partial um, schizophrenia. It's partial. It's not, it's not too bad, but that look was there. But I noticed while I was teaching him theory, chord theory, you could see lights go on, and you could see a normal look just come over his face, even for a few seconds, and then that glazed look would come back. But I know there was something, even you know, even in the mind. I know even I kind of sense like a healing, and the mind was going on even just through something natural, like theory, learning, learning something. I, I felt the healing of the mind, and so. It was a really good connection with Robert. Um, I really stressed him went over and over again. Get away from three chords. <laughs> Native ministries notorious for learning three chords. Probably the key of G. <laughs> G, C, D, and you're a music evangelist all of a sudden. <laughs> what I want to teach the Native community is let's, let's raise the bar. Let's raise the bar in, in not just our music theory, but worship. You know, it, you know, it's I really believe a big part of knowing God more is is knowing the little stuff, and you build up. And it was good. I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the worship. Um, I was a little bit jealous when I heard that Gordy did some some worship with the kids because one thing that I love to do on Love Corps, this is another, this is a Korean native joint venture across, across the province. I used to love doing techno worship with, with kids. So I was, I was a little bit jealous when I heard that Gordy did some music with the kids. But um, I don't know. There, there's a lot of, I, I can't, there's so many things I could, could say, but um, it was it was a it was an awesome trip. I thought everybody that went on the trip were the right people. I was I was really amazed at how everybody connected with the people. That was really awesome. Um, I guess I'll just end with um, I'm not much of a camper. <laughs> West Coast, we didn't live in teepees. We lived, we lived in longhouses. So to put me in a teepee, to put me in a teepee was, was pretty tough. I needed, I needed one of the settlers to show me how to put up a teepee. Thank you.
Come on up, Christine. Christine was kind of like that photo, you know, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? You know, he kind of shows up everywhere. That's kind of what she was like on this trip, but <laughs> such a blessing. She brought a lot of joy. Here's Christine with as the kids. As long as I had enough sleep, or even marginal sleep. Yay! Oh, thank you. Which one do you want? Um, the other one. This the one? The one with uh, Fred. Kay. You're stealing Monica's, but that's okay. No, no, I'm, I won't say much about Fred at all. <laughs> we just, there were so many, um, you know, I, I felt a real difference going the second time to Laura Post. Um, my journey um, of learning from and about Aboriginal people in Canada started 24 years ago when I was 21. And I worked at a camp for the summer and about 95% of the children who came were um, Haudenosaunee. Um, we called them Ojibwe, and that was near Manitoulin Island in Sudbury. And um, so I spent the summer with these children, and that really opened my eyes to, even though I had spent my whole life growing up right next to the Six Nations of the Iroquois in southern Ontario, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what was going on, and that was just, at age 21, just such a blast of, like, learning about the intense brokenness in um, the communities, in the families. And, um, and I think it, it just broke my heart for, for Aboriginal people and just lit an, an intense interest in just the variety of cultures and languages and ceremonies and, and, and literature like, there's so many Aboriginal writers out there. Métis, First Nations, Inuit. Um, it's just, they have such, there is such a rich culture in our country of, um, of artists, writers, designers, um, musicians. I mean, you know, if you can get a little bit interested in that, you'll just be like, wow. So... Um, so I, I feel like Laura Post is a really continuation of my education, my cultural education, enculturation maybe, I don't know. And so um, uh, last year I really got to know many members of the Miller family, and this year those relationships uh, deepened, and uh, Doreen invited me into her home, and while I was very thankful for that, oh my gosh, feather bed, <sighs> I was also really, like, even more thankful for that being invited kind of into, further into the community. And not, I felt some, last year I felt more like a stranger, like, but this, this year I felt more like coming into the inside of the community, coming into the circle. The circle is very significant in, um, in Aboriginal life, whether it's the circle of life, the circle of the seasons, the circle is very significant imagery. And so um, on our first night, we got to meet Fred. Oh, an elder. Elders are such an, um, they're like um, a living, walking encyclopedia of the community. And so I know from my past experience how important elders were. And um, it, it was just, I just wanted to hear, just hear about his life, and Monica's going to probably talk more about that. 
Yeah, so I'll let her talk about the details. But we actually got to visit him at his house and just see some of the things that he does. And yeah, if you want to learn how to build your own shelter and feed yourself off the land, that's pretty much all you need, right? You can go and see Fred. He's a living resource. Um, and I guess what I saw, kind of, I'll talk more about the big picture a little bit. And that's just, I saw, I saw lots of brokenness, you know, battles, spiritual battles, battles with um, addiction and, and pain from the past um, and the residential school, and I'm almost done. And, um, okay. So, so I saw, you know, I saw that there was lots of pain, but I also saw, like, um, Agnes Miller, you know, who's walking with God, just saw hunger and thirst for God, and Agnes, you know, trying to discern what her role might be in leading the community in the future, and her sister Doreen, just hungry for God, like she had piles of books, they'd had this um, wonderful Christian lady who's like in her 80s, drives herself all over the country ministering, but somebody else might talk more about that. Um, and, um, and just lots of hunger and thirst, like all over. And so that really, that really encouraged me. I, I feel like the tide is turning and that we just, I feel like I really need to knuckle down this year and pray for the community regularly we marched around the community, marched around the school, like in a Jericho-style march, praying for the school. And, and I feel like I need to, like, be in communication with people. They might be coming. Um, Fred will be coming to town in a couple weeks. And there might be a bunch of people coming in September for the reconciliation activities that are taking place in Vancouver. So we have um, opportunities to really even deepen those connections. Thank you. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, thanks. Come on, Monica. Yeah, I would say the level of spiritual hunger for scripture and prayer, uh, I haven't seen that for a long time. I just, the hunger. Monica's first trip. I think this was the My only first one. trip, yeah. I, I was the uh, new kid on the block. <laughs> um, like Danny, trying to come up with what to say today in five minutes is so difficult. It was an amazing trip in many ways. Uh, first was driving up to Lower Post and then back, getting to know the people in our vehicle. It was Christine, Gloria, and myself in one van, and then the others in the other one. And just the whole dynamic of seven people being crammed into two vans and living together for three days, two days up and three days back, was challenging sometimes, but we had we really got to know each other really well. We spent time in prayer, and it was really we were, seemed to be really in tune with with the need for really building each other up and supporting each other. And I really valued that. I think it really made a huge difference on our trip. Um, we made some connections. I th- and at the end here, and I'll jump down to the end and then go back. What do we do when we go to lower post? That was one of the questions for me as a new person coming in. And the passage, um, I think, that you shared. We, we come as, we, we come, we go there as God's servants to serve, 
to share, to uplift, strengthen, and encourage the people there. They don't have a church. Uh, they don't have a pastor. And that was one of the things that, that really came out in our celebrations in the evening, how much they just soaked up the worship time, the, the messages, and it really just opened them up gave them life again. I think they, they really struggle with the fact that there's no leader, no church. And what I saw was the grandparents bringing their children and the, even the children talking about their parents being drunk. So there's the real hurt and brokenness there that's already been mentioned that was just really evident. And, and these core people that we met with w- were really soaking it up everything that that happened and I think they really um, they opened up to me because one of the, uh, all of us but to me as a new person which is surprising uh, a little bit because um, it's hard sometimes to get through to people especially of a different culture but I had some of these people that told me they don't really they, they keep to themselves Agnes and Doreen were two of those and their core people there they, they often uh, don't mix even in lower posts with other people because they've been harassed for being Christians and, and it, their life is not easy. But they op- really opened up and shared some of the things that they've gone through and it was a real blessing to be part of that and to be able to encourage them by serving them. And it reminded me of the, the passage we read where the, the king came and he served the people that were ready. And that's what we were doing there. We were going there as people that were coming to bolster them up, to encourage them, to help them to keep going, because their their life there is not easy. Um, we also connected with some of the people that are not Christians, and one of those was Freddie, uh, Freddie Hasselberg. He's an 82-year-old elder, and he lives off the land. And his land actually is in a little bit of jeopardy right now because there's a motel close by that is eyeing his property. And his original cabin was mysteriously burnt down this year. And so he rebuilt the cabin that we're standing in front there with the help of other people, but he rebuilt that himself. But it's not up to code. And so he's building a second cabin on the same property and will be putting electricity and stuff in there to hopefully hang on to his land that he's lived on all his life. And the, the one big concern that he has is for the young people there that are not interested in the traditional ways and learning how to live off the land. He's a trapper. Um, he makes snowshoes. He, he knows how to survive on the land, and it's a very valuable very valuable skills I think I'd love to learn. And we talked about perhaps sending up a team of people that could learn from someone like him. Now, the one concern on there is, as Gordy mentioned, he's, or Christine mentioned, he's coming down in two weeks to go for tests at, I believe, St. Paul's because he may have cancer of the throat. So we need to pray for him. And I told him that we'd pray, and Kathleen actually prayed for him, and he was very thankful for that. So there was very gentle... Uh, testimony and stories given to him when we visited with him. Christine went one day and I went another with Doreen. And he was just thrilled to spend time with us and that we were interested in what they were all about. So 
he would be very much on my heart for us to pray, and if we can help when he comes down, if they need help, I think that would be awesome. Thanks, Monica. Yeah, they're very vulnerable. Uh, as you know, First Nations don't own land unless they've had a treaty. So uh, the testimony of one was the floods in their house were going up as the Williston Dam. What dam is that in uh, flooded out Wajaka, north of Fort Ware? Anyway, they actually saw the water rising in their house. That's how fast they had to get out. Uh, and that's happened many times in B.C. So we, so they get, get land as long as it's convenient for the non-native society, and then they're, sh- they're shoved around. That, that continues to happen. Uh, Wooly uh, has a twin brother. Uh, Monica just wanted to tell you that, Rick. Gloria celebrated a birthday up there. So we, Gloria was an amazing cook. By the way, meals were just a huge part. We just, anytime we had a meal, we invited anybody in the community to come. And we had lots of people show up for breakfast every morning before they went to work at the band office or the medical center. Or uh, there's, there's a business development office now. George Miller has turned down 50 to $100 million offers from mining companies, forestry companies, when he's felt that the offer would jeopardize their, their, their ecosystem, their, their woodsheds or their um, watersheds. And, um, and, but they're constantly under pressure. Uh, that way, but they would come and eat with us, and uh, and we could, just couldn't have done it without you, Gloria. So come on up and just share. Uh, this is uh, us eating together here, uh, and Gloria, it was just uh, great to celebrate your birthday up there. It was very nice to celebrate <laughs> my birthday up there. It made it very, very special very this year. Yeah. Um, my ministry was in food service, and um, I did... I made sure that the meals were there and on time. And it was something that we started last year, which was my first year there, and we opened the doors for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, Anyone and everyone was welcome. And last year, um, we had one person, George Miller, come for breakfast one morning. That was it. So it's a challenge to prepare when you have no idea what's going to happen. This year, we had good numbers every morning for breakfast. Breakfast was served at 9, and and people were in the door ready to eat at 9 o'clock in the morning. We had lunch at 12.30, and once again, you know, we we were seeing new faces that we had never seen before. So uh, that was very encouraging. Um, some, Some young guys that were working on a new service station that they're building, and uh, people from the band office that we hadn't seen last year. and So it was that was really wonderful as well to see all of these new faces coming out. And then, of course, dinner. Uh, dinner was at 6 every night before worship. So we made sure that we had a, a huge feast out every night. And uh, Monica was definitely my right hand on that. And um, Christine was my left hand. She, she was filling in. There were times when Monica, when, when Monica went out to see Freddie or, or first thing in the morning. It depended who was there first. But, yeah, I was the first one in the kitchen and the last one out of the kitchen every day. It, it was really well worth it um, 
the appreciation was amazing, and so so many people thanked me for the for the food and for the meals, and and they were very surprised because uh, I don't do anything from mixes, and so we had different desserts every day. Can you believe she doesn't use a mix? <laughs> so it was, uh, it, it kind of opened their eyes too. Like a lot of the women were asking me, well, what's this? What's that? Because I did put out unusual things, things that um, you don't see every day, things like fennel root with apples baked together. And, and you know, it was totally a different taste that, that they'd never experienced before. And... Um, I spent a lot of time preparing for it. I did two days of shopping before we left Vancouver to make sure that we had all of the fruits and vegetables, like cases of pineapple and apples and oranges. And, and so it, I think that was a real treat, too, because up there, uh, a watermelon can cost you $10. And down here, I was able to take three for $10, you know? So it, it really expands what we're able to do. So we virtually took all the food. But when breakfasts were so overwhelming, well, goodness, Gordy went out to get me some more bacon, and I couldn't believe it. $8 a pound, he came back and said, like, no way, you know? Where here, you know, we can buy it on sale for three forty-nine a pound. So various things like that. One of the, one of the treats for me was that I was welcomed into the home of uh, George and Marilyn Miller. And George is the hereditary chief there. Last year was my first year at Lower Post. And I'm, I, I don't know how it happened, but uh, it, Marilyn and I just gravitated together, and also Agnes, who is George's sister, um, and she's a council member on, at Lower Post. And this year, they welcomed me into their home, and what they did is they set up a beautiful holiday trailer for me, and so I had this private accommodation. I felt, I felt so blessed. Uh, it made such a difference to me and, and my energy and just being able to uh, do the food preparation every day because I, I got such a good rest. And just I really saw my relationship with uh, especially Marilyn deepen as, you know, we, we never had huge windows of time to share together, but we, we were able to have, you know, a little time here and a little time there. So that was, that was really wonderful, and I, and I see that relationship deepening and deepening, and, and uh, she was already talking about next year and how next year the ladies would do the food, of course, that I would be helping. <laughs> so, so that was so cute. And the other thing is Art and Dixie came. They uh, were there at worship on Monday night. And uh, Art has actually come to the point where um, he is going to be working with the Cascadeni. Um, and many of you know of the Blue Denim Project. Well, this is um, the forefront of it. And he is going to be teaching five of their young men how to... Uh, fell the logs and how to process the logs. And so he's going through a training program, and he was very insistent that this would, would be, um, that safety is first. And gratefully, uh, the, the band did agree with him uh, through the negotiations because the, the time set for it is very short. So Art and Dixie are moving up to lower post, and uh, as of September 1st, they're going to be there full time. The uh, and so they're they're just so excited about doing ministry too and supporting the Christian community there and of course art with his guitar and you know the music and and so they're very much looking forward to having Art and Dixie as part of their Christian community there. 
Come on up, Kenny. This is Kenny. He was our technician, fire starter. Um, and he's going to tell you the saga of the toilet. The toilet. Toilet saga. Has anybody heard of a quad biopsy? <laughs> this thing has had a quad biopsy. <laughs> Killed every one of them. I'm going to give you a real fast story on this, and I'll tell you about the rest of the house. So anyways, this isn't the toilet I was working on, but I figure I'll take a picture of a toilet so you have an idea what it is. You got the pointer? Where's the pointer button? Laser button, that one there, okay. Okay, now, as soon as I came into Fanny's house, I believe it was, okay, they had a leaky toilet, and there was water all over the floor. So, Kenny, could you go check the toilet? So, I go check the toilet. There's a seal here and two screws that hold on this part of the toilet, and the water was just all over the floor. So I said, no problem, I can fix it. We go to Watson Lake, we get the parts. Of course, Kenny puts them in, half hour's work. Kenny goes home. Gordy, or Gordy and Kathleen go back in. Next morning, Kenny, it's still leaking. So Kenny goes back. Kenny goes back. It's not leaking from here, but it's leaking from the seal where the pump is inside here. So, and it wasn't leaking the day before. I flushed, like every time I do a job, I flush it 15 times. No leak. I come back, the seal's gone. So I go find the guy. Who's the maintenance guy? Charlie. And Charlie has some seals, so Kenny goes back there. Now, just remember... It, every time I walk to go get parts or anything, it's a mile walk, okay? Yeah, back and forth. So Kenny goes and puts a seal in here and flushes the toilet 15 times, and the toilet works. Next morning, Gordon and Kathleen come. It's still leaking. Huh? They were sleeping in that house, yeah. So Kenny goes back, checks the toilet. Oh, where's the thing? This line here is now leaking out of water from the top, and I guess the seal is all gone. Their water's got a lot of lime and minerals in it. So now, so now I go, okay, now we've got to go Watson Lake again to get another part. So I started searching through abandoned cabins, and I found one on a broken toilet that was smashed. And so another mile, two-mile walk, I go in and put in, the, put in the thing. This is, you know, a four-day project. So I go in, I flush another 15 times, the toilet works. Fine, finally, God, we fixed the toilet. I go home next morning, they go, oh, it's still leaking. <laughs> so I go back and look again. Now, at the bottom of the toilet, there's a seal. Okay? There's a seal. Actually, it's a five quad. No, okay, it's a quad, and then actually... It, okay, anyways, so anyways, I uh, put a new seal in it. We go in town, get it. Art goes in town, gets a new seal. So we put the new seal in. I said, finally, the toilet's done. There's nothing else to go wrong. Well, you know what? It still leaked out of the seal. So we finally go to Watson Lake, go to the ban office, and we got a new toilet, brand new toilet. Now, here's the weirdest thing. I took the toilet apart with Robert, lifted up the toilet. The seal that I put in there wasn't even in there, and I put it in there. It took me to press it down. It's the weirdest thing. Kathleen's talking about footsteps at night. I, you know footsteps at night and all that. Something didn't want us to fix that toilet, but you know what? I put the brand new toilet in. I don't know about the next day because we had to leave. But I don't think it's going... I think we took the, 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 the Satan toilet out of the house and put a Christian one in. So... 
And then just just the last thing, I gotta I gotta tell you about Dixie's the greatest thing in the world. She cleaned up that house was just like clutter, clutter, clutter. And uh, Dixie goes to Kenny, he says, Oh well, who's sleeping in this room? And I go, well, that's where Gordy and Kathleen sleep. Well, who's sleeping in this room? Because uh, I should clean up the room. She opens up the door, and there's the bed. And the bed, you don't see the bed. You see a pile of clothes at least four feet high. She goes, oh, my God. Like, oh, how can they sleep in there? Where she sleep? So uh, she ended up folding. All the clothes were washed, but she had to fold all the clothes. Finally, she could walk around the thing, but she's like, She's so sweet, like, oh, my God, look at the bird. Oh, how can I sleep in the bed? So, she was so awesome, though, so awesome. So anyways, I had many things to fix there. Gordy's uh, pump on, his thing, on, on the trailer for, for glorious water. She never had water, but anyways, that's the story. I've got many other ones if you want to hear them. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't until we, we left Lower Post and we're driving down the highway and we, we compared stories and, and there, there, um, there were uh, a number of demonic manifestations during the time where it was, we realized that we're getting very close to a key breakthrough when the devil starts kind of showing his, his hand the way that he did. This was just on the road to Alaska there. This was our last team meal. Uh, the only meal that we had out, which we included in the budget, when when we uh, that was that was for you. Uh, um, they handed me an envelope that said, "God bless you for all your faithfulness to Jesus. For you've been a blessing to all of us." And I opened it up, and there was fifteen hundred dollars in there. So they covered all of our expenses uh, to get get up and back. We that was about what we were short. So uh, just a wonderful answer to prayer. Um, what, what I would say is that we went on the land and it was an act of intercession and mysticism. I feel like every morning I would wake up with such depression and despair. I literally some mornings walk, woke up and just felt like walking out of town and just leaving the team, leaving everybody. And just, I, I, I cannot describe the level of darkness and despair that I felt. And I would just say, oh God, I can't, I can't even get up. And at that moment, he would just pop a little word into my heart, and I would have it for the sermon that night. I didn't have time to prepare. I didn't know what I was going to say. But he would just give, so sweetly just give me a word, and it was that word. And I, and I realized I was entering into the, their despair. I was feeling their pain. It was an act of intercession. I literally drank their water out of their taps. Not a lot, but I felt to do it. It's yellow. It's, it tastes like sulfur. Uh, it's, it's a travesty in the wealthiest nation of the world. That, that thousands of villages across the north have water like that, and it's got to change. Uh, it was a world of angels and demons. I, there were supernatural encounters. Uh, I'll just tell you, uh, one elder that, that I met, his name was Hudson. He's the one that took me on the, the land a few years ago when we went up, way up into the Yukon on a river. And he, with everybody else in his family, alcoholics, children, grandchildren, alcoholics, drug addicts, uh, brothers, sisters, this guy has followed Jesus for years. And he said, I watched satellite TV, Gordy. He's, seven, he's in his 70s at least. And he says, they talk about Afghanistan and Africa. And he, they talk about India and all these nations. He says, what about my people? And there was this cry that came out of his heart. And he told me that a number of years ago, he was skidding this, some kind of lumber job. And a log came down and smashed his foot totally crushed it, 
and his foot and his legs swelled, swelled up and turned black. And they put a tourniquet on it. And they couldn't find a doctor. And all they had was painkillers. And he was in this delirium in the middle of the night. And he felt he was dying. The pain was so great. His blood had turned black. They had to cut his shoe off. And he was laying there. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, he said he woke up and somebody was sitting on his bed. And the man asked him, it was in November, where is the sun at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? Crazy question. So he remembers thinking, well, at noon it's there. At 1 o'clock it's there. And at 2 o'clock it's there. And when he looked at 2 o'clock, he saw Jesus in the clouds with his hand pointed towards the north. And he fell back asleep. And when he woke up in the morning, his leg was totally normal. He could still see the bloody shoe there. A little while later, he went for a drink at the Watson Lake Hotel. And he came out of the hotel, and four big guys surrounded him and said, Hey, Hudson, we want to pray for you. And they were kind of, you know, dressed smart cash, not suits and ties. And he said, No, it's okay. He says, I drove here, but I got to hitchhike a designated driver home. And he had a, he'd had a couple of drinks, but anyway, these big guys wouldn't let him out, so finally he said, okay. So he let them pray for him. And then he walked home. The next day, he looked around for these guys, and there was a bunch of people outside the hotel when he'd gotten them to pray for him, and nobody had seen them. He knows they were angels. And what I found is, what I, I find with lower posts is when we go up there, it's like we become so aware of the spiritual realm. It's a land of angels, a land of demons, a land of of true spiritual warfare. And you really have to make sure you brush up on your your understanding of, of, of the spiritual realm. A church was reborn, I believe, uh, uh, the Log Church. I believe it was a YWAM team or some church team that came from the States in the early 80s and built a Log Church. And when we first went there, that Log Church was used for our meetings. But it, it closed down and was actually being used for council for, for the band office or for the council office for a number of years. But this last year, the Spirit of God just came on George Miller, and he has fixed it up, and they're now putting a kitchen in and showers, and it was almost ready for us to use as a church this year. And I saw such a parallel between what's happening in that, that building and the true church. There is a church being reborn. Leadership is being raised up. People are hungry for prayer, for teaching. Art and Dixie are now there. Uh, I, think, I think it's time. And so they've invited us. And for the first time, I have felt a peace about saying yes. I've been invited to do this before. But next year, they said they want to take us to, to the Casca Nation villages. They want us to take us to two and a half mile, to the Upper Liard, to Dease Lake, Teltan Territory, Good Hope Lake. They feel that our message needs to get out. And so they are arranging a tour for us to go. And I haven't felt peace because there's so much fly-by-night ministry up there. People come, people go. And I've just felt just stay in covenant with these people. But there's something that's happened amongst us where I, for the first time, I felt a peace. And David Roos, Graham Ord have both expressed the desire. I'm going to try to get a hold of them, bring them up. They love music. We're going to bring Danny back. And... Um, so we're going to start praying and preparing for that now. I entered into a covenant with them that we were going to be more intentionally involved uh, through the year, just connecting. As, as uh, Monica and Gloria shared, a number of them want to come down for the reconciliation event on the 22nd of September. So that's our story. 
we come back in weakness. We come back tired. We come back very uh, war-torn. It was war, unbelievable war, but happy, uh, really feeling that God did what he wanted to do, and you were a part of that. So thank you. So let's stand together, shall we? Maybe you can start praying now about your, your involvement next year. Uh, one thing that I feel as a pastor and also on the national team in the vineyard and also as the regional team is I just wasn't able to do the kind of preparation I would have liked to have done for the team this year. We had about two meetings before we left, and I, we felt that. Um, but God worked through the weakness anyway, but I really feel like I need help coming along to get teams ready and prepare and uh, so that's something I'd like you to be praying for. Uh, like I say, I think God worked through it, and I think, I think uh, in, our, in our weaknesses, strength is made perfect. But uh, we'd like to start preparing and praying in the fall and just really getting ready because there is so much warfare. And the whole destiny of Canada so hinges on how this goes, what direction this turns. I really believe that. There is a direct connection, I believe, demonic, between demonic control of our land and the injustices and the oppression that have happened. That, as that scripture says, the, 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 the ancient foundations have to be rebuilt in our land. So uh, please be praying for that. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of just being able to share, not analytically or, or with a lot of uh, reflection, but just kind of out of our guts, uh, our first uh, impressions of, of this time. Thank you, Lord for this church family that has so much embraced Kathleen and me in our heart for First Nations. And, and Lord, we pray for Danny and his, his journey here, and we believe you've raised him up for this time. We pray for this vision, Lord, this, this uh, opportunity for Aldona, and Lord, these, these opportunity for funds to be released, Lord, for a, a healing program. God, we just ask that you would help us to be faithful, not just once a year, but, but to live this out, Lord. That, this, that we would live out your Magna Carta, to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, to, to, to be your hands and your feet, Lord, and to see, to see you, to learn, uh, to grow, to partner. Uh, Father, we're just so blessed. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege. So I, I pray, Lord, now that your Holy Spirit would come. I pray for those who, who are in need, who need your touch today, who need your spirit to touch them. Lord, I pray that where there is uh, demonic oppression and strongholds, Lord, that you would break them. Lord, where there's discouragement and despair, that you would break it off, Father God. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the victory through the blood of Jesus, Lord. We thank you that Satan is defeated. Lord, he may bluff and he may roar and rumble, but his teeth have been pulled. He's lost his authority. And we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of this land. He's Lord of this city. He's Lord of the nations. He's Lord of all of the first nations, the many nations throughout this land. He is Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask for your power to come, for a heaven-sent revival, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for that in the north. We pray that sons and daughters and children and grandchildren, Lord, would, would, would come back to you, Lord, that you would bring them back into your kingdom. Many have had seeds planted in them, Lord. Through the Christian camps and many ministries that have gone on, Lord, there's seeds that have planted. And we say, Lord, that it's time for that harvest.
So we ask you for that. Would you show us our, our place in that as a church? Would you help us to stay humble, Lord, to not, not get too full of ourselves in all of this, just to partner with the many that are feeling a symbol, similar heart and similar vision, Lord, to work as a team with the body of Christ. Thank you for the Koreans, Lord, that have yeah. led this love corps through many of the, the reserves throughout the province and, and the, the seeds that they've planted. Thank you for Kaylee and, Lord, her involvement, Lord, with some of these kids, Lord, in the Yukon. Lord, help us to team, to partner, and to work together as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We just have to realize uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And just the privilege of traveling with Danny and learning so much more about First Nations. He's traveled all over the north, done a lot of ministry, realizing that a lot of the people are gripped with superstition, and they just have to understand the authority in the name of Jesus. And so that last night, it's never easy, but that last night when we were staying at Fanny's house, and I could not sleep, I went from one bedroom, the bed that Dixie had fixed up so beautifully, I went and laid down there. Fanny's a very good friend. I couldn't sleep. I, the dog started barking. So I got up. I went over to Harley's bed. They, these were the guys that were in Kelowna. Couldn't sleep. And all of a sudden, I started hearing footsteps. Thup, 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 thup. I said, oh, no, I can't believe it. Oh, my God, has Robert come back into the house? This is Robert was one of the guys that Danny was talking about, and he, his auntie is Fanny, so sometimes the door opens and people come in. You, they, they never lock their doors. So I'm lying there, and I think, why would Robert come back in the middle of the night? So I'm hearing the footsteps. Thump, 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 thump. So I look out the door, and then I see shadow. It's like a, a, a shadow of a man. I think, oh, my God, it's a demon in here. So, of course, your heart just seizes up, right? You start having uh, adrenaline. So, of course, like, thank God I've had the good teaching. So in the name of Jesus, I take authority over that. And I command that demon to get out of this house right now by the power of the blood of Jesus. And it stopped. Of course, the first thing I did was I went back after that to, to sleep with Gordy. <laughs> but I fell asleep. So the thing is, we need to have good teaching. Danny gave very good teaching. And we need to have teaching. And we ourselves need to know that we can stand in the authority of Jesus. And I believe that that toilet is fixed, that there's no demons in the toilet. We were taught not to talk about demons in the toilet, but in this case, there was one. Amen. Well, thank you for being patient with us. We need to let you go get your kids. If you need prayer, uh, I don't know if I have any strength left to pray, but I, I receive prayer. Uh, but, but there are people here that will pray. May the Lord bless you and, and grant you with his peace. Shalom.